1: The Lord will not allow even one righteous person to suffer with the wicked. Even a compromising believer, as long as they're truly saved, you'll never experience the wrath of God. Some teach that even true Christians, because they're lukewarm, um, won't be raptured in the rapture of the church. I think that's one of the most unbiblical teachings out there. It's ridiculous. There's no support for it, I find, in Scripture.
0: Throughout the Bible, there are instances of the Lord's wrath being poured out on people who have blatantly ignored what God has said to them and chose to sin. But why? How could a loving God do this? Today, Pastor Danny will remind you that without a consequence for sin, there's no need for saving. God has already done everything that He needed to do in order to save everyone, but no one is forced to do anything. Everyone also has the choice to accept or deny the free gift of salvation. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Genesis chapter 19 as he continues his message, Sodom and Gomorrah.
1: I'll not overthrow the town you speak of, but flee there quickly because I can't do anything until you reach it. That's why the town was called Zor. It means small. You notice that statement? I cannot do anything until you reach it. That's what I meant earlier when I said, hey, a righteous person living in an unrighteous community can be used to stay the hand of God. God's not going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah as long as Lot is there. He's not going to pour out his wrath on them because Lot's there. Even though he's a compromising believer, he's righteous by faith. He's a child of God. And God will not pour out his wrath on his children. Never happened. That's why Jesus died. Verse 23, by the time Lot reached Zor, the sun had risen over the land. And then notice this verse. Then the Lord rained down burning sulfur on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. This is not from hell. You get this? This is not judgment from hell. This is from heaven, from the Lord out of the heavens. Thus he overthrew those cities and the entire plain, including all those living in the cities. The judgment fell on people from the Lord out of the heavens. Also the vegetation and then verse 26. But Lot's wife looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Why did she look back? Because that's where her heart was. New Testament, John says it this way, 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Don't love the world or anything in the world. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and all of its desires pass away. Any man who loves the world, anyone who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. She looked back. Because her heart was in Sodom. Her heart was in the world. I mentioned last week, and we're not told, it's speculation. But even though it's speculation, it's, it's, it's I think, probable. It's definitely possible. Definitely possible. So it's speculation, but it's possible, maybe even probable, that Lot met his wife in Sodom, that is what lured him to lured him to Sodom. That's what caused him to leave the tent life and become a compromising believer, and become a citizen of Sodom and, and even a leader in Sodom. Politically, he he rose to an elder at the gate. Lot's wife does not seem to have experienced the faith of her husband or her husband's uncle Abraham. She looked back, and God judged her because that's where her heart was. The angels had specifically said, don't look back. Jesus took the opportunity, if I could just take a moment and turn to Luke chapter 17. Jesus took the opportunity um, to highlight this in his warning of what it's going to be like when God judges the whole world, not just places like Sodom and Gomorrah. He says in Luke chapter 17, verse 26, just as it was in the days of Noah, so also will it be in the days of the son of man. People were eating, drinking, marrying, and being given in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark, and then the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same in the days of Lot. People were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planning and building. But the day Lot left Sodom, and Sodom fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. It'll be just like this on the day the son of man is revealed. On that day, no one who is on the roof of his house with his goods inside should go down to get them. Likewise, no one in the field should go back to get anything. Uh, Remember Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife. There's nothing here worth looking back for. And if you've really entered into the faith of Abraham and the faith of Lot, your heart's no longer in this world. Lot's wife didn't know about. In her heart, that city with foundations whose builder and maker is God. And she looked back, and she was judged. Back to the story, chapter 19, just a few more verses, verse 27. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and returned to the place where he had stood before the Lord. He looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah, toward all the land of the plain, and he saw dense smoke rising from the land like smoke from a furnace. So when God destroyed the cities of the plain, he remembered Abraham. That's interesting. And Abraham prayed for Lot. He remembered Abraham. And he brought Lot out of the catastrophe that overthrew the cities where Lot had lived. And then we have this last section that's also another section I really don't care to read. And so I won't. After just escaping the wrath of God, Barely escaping. I mean, the grace of God, these angels grab Lot and pull him out as he hesitated to leave before wrath fell. But he's a saved man. He's a saved man. And after just escaping the wrath of God by the skin of his teeth, his daughters get him drunk. One at a time, they get him drunk. One the first night and the other the second night and sleep with their own father. And in an incestuous relationship... Which again is suspicious to me about Lot and his compromising and how Sodom had affected his own daughters. The last couple of verses, verse 37, 38, the older daughter had a son and she named him Moab. He's the father of the Moabites of today. Younger daughter also had a son. She named him ben He's the father of the Ammonites today. And both those peoples became enemies of the family of God and the people of Israel. That's what this produced. Now, there's a lot here, a lot that needs to be said, but I'm limited on time. Here's some important lessons we we need to take away. Uh, compromising believers bring great harm on themselves and on their families, and sometimes even on the family of God. Lot's a true believer, but he compromised his faith. He became a citizen of Sodom. He became prosperous as a leader in Sodom. He probably enjoyed the comforts of Sodom. He compromised, I believe, in marriage. He married a woman that even if she wasn't from Sodom, she was so attached to Sodom that she looked back and she was judged. She was not saved. I don't think there's any way. There's an indication that Lot's wife was a saved woman. Her heart was in Sodom. And her looking back revealed the true condition of over heart. Lot compromised his family. His daughters were pledged to be married to men from Sodom. When Lot warned them of the judgment to come, they just laughed. They thought he was joking. He lost his testimony. He lost his wife. He lost his sons-in-law. He lost his wealth. He went into Sodom. A rich man, he left with just the clothes on his back, narrowly escaping the wrath of God. And then after narrowly escaping the wrath of God, bearing seed through incestuous relationships with his daughters, and that produced fruit that became the enemies of the people of Israel. Amazing. So that's one lesson. (laughs) That's a good one to learn. The second lesson is this. Listen, the Lord will not allow even one righteous person to suffer with the wicked, even a compromising believer, as long as they're truly saved. You'll never experience the wrath of God. Um, Some teach that even true Christians, because they're lukewarm, um, won't be raptured in the rapture of the church. I think that's one of the most unbiblical teachings out there. It's ridiculous. There's no support for it, I find, in Scripture. Because you're lukewarm, you're going to be left here and go through the tribulation, experience some of the wrath of God. That's just crazy. I I won't even comment anymore on that. Anybody that tries to teach that here, you you let me know. Let me know. Lukewarm Christians aren't going to be raptured. That's crazy. Where do you find that? Uh, let me just read you very quickly first. Well, you just write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. And some Christians build with gold, silver, precious stones on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Some wood, hay, and stubble. That's a lot, I think. But at the end of that verse, it says uh, they're still going to be saved, even though they're ones just escaping the flames. That's a lot. They're still saved. They're still saved. Jesus paid the price for their mistakes. And the third thing is, is that statement... The question, will not the judge of the, the, all the earth do what is right? Of course he will. Uh, Revelation 16, verses 4 through 7, uh, as God's pouring out wrath in the great tribulation period just before Jesus and his second coming, um, there's this cry that goes up to the Lord. You are just in these judgments. You are just. It's righteous judgments. And then the last is this, and I hope I've left myself enough time to at least, at least communicate this to you because you need to hear it. We need to hear it. There will be a future judgment and punishment for all who have not been made righteous by faith. And, and I emphasize only made righteous by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. Okay? I think we all know that. Boy, you need to reiterate that. We're made righteous by faith because of the grace of God. And the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. 2 Peter chapter 2, here's what it says, verse 6. If God condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. Did you hear that? Jude, verse 7, that little, little epistle just before the book of the Revelation. Jude verse 7, in a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. I found an article. I'm going to read you just a few snippets from it. Most Americans don't believe in hell. The latest research from Barna Associates shows that only 31% of adults see hell as a place of physical torment where people may be sent. You can traverse the entire United States on any given Sunday morning and you very probably will not hear a sermon on the judgment of God or eternal punishment. One leader said evangelicals have voted by the silence of their voices that they either do not believe in the doctrine of hell or else no longer have the courage and conviction to stand and say anything about it. I think what we face in the church today, as one theologian said, is a virtual eclipse of the character of God. The irony is that evangelicals consider one sermon about God's judgment to be among the greatest evangelical messages ever preached. It was by a fellow named Jonathan Edwards in 1741. The title of it was Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, and a bunch of people got saved. Now, I think, I know... There are some present-day influences away from this important truth. Now, I want to say very carefully, um, you know, I think we can misrepresent God sometimes in how we communicate things. However, I don't know a nice way to communicate that there really is a judgment and there really is something to fear, eternal fire. I don't know a nice way to communicate that. I just want to tell you, I love you, but you're going to hell. You know, I mean... I don't know a nice way to come in, but listen, we shouldn't be arrogant. We shouldn't be self-righteous. Okay. But hang with me. Hang with me now. There's some present day influences away from this important truth. And I, I'm going to, I'm going to be bold here, even though I love these people and they are my brothers and sisters. Okay. They are my brothers and sisters. But I think one of the present day influences that's not doing the kingdom of God a favor is the seeker sensitive church movement. I love Bill Hybels. I've never met him. I'm going to meet him. I believe he's a a believer. I believe he's born again. But he is considered to be um, the leader of the seeker-sensitive church movement. And I'll quote him. He says, I don't think fear as a tactic really moves people toward faith these days. So tactically, I think there are better ways to interest the uninterested in the claims of Jesus Christ. They've birthed several churches. One is Spring Branch Church, Community Church in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And the church's website gives reasons that people don't like church. And one is that people make people people feel, pastors make people feel ignorant and guilty and guilty. Um, And this pastor, and I quote him, how do they make people feel guilty? I think pastors can sometimes do that very inadvertently, inadvertently by saying, You can't do this or you're doing this and this behavior is against everything just in the Bible. This pastor believes the people who come to his church want to know how to improve their lives and their marriages. He even has done a sermon entitled Sex in the City. I guess that's one that somebody started and everybody else is stealing. He says uh, uh, preaching a sermon like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God wouldn't work today when most Americans seemingly have it all. Today, he says, and I'm quoting him today, I think the title of that sermon would be, I went on vacation and felt empty inside. One leading theologian, I like what he says, there's no need of a gospel. Nobody needs a gospel if there's no judgment. If there's no law, if God is not a God of judgment, if there's no such thing as hell, what good is the gospel? The gospel tells us that we're saved from the wrath that is to come. He goes on, we're not supposed to add offense to the gospel, but if we try to take the offense that's already there, then we're offending God, and we're offending Christ, and we're not proclaiming the whole counsel of God. There's a fellow named Carl- Carlton Pearson. Um, he was a prodigy of Oral Roberts. Oral Roberts took him under his wings, recognized the anointing of God on his life, and uh, Carlton Pearson was a part of a denomination called the Church of God in Christ. Um, And he became very, very well-known, very influential. He wrote a book a few years ago as he changed his doctrinal stance called the Gospel of Inclusion. He doesn't believe anybody's going to be judged. And then one, I don't know if you've heard the name, Rob Bell. I've never read much about Rob Bell. I just hear his name. Well, finally today I did some reading on Rob Bell. His book he wrote not long ago called Love Wins. And he doesn't believe there's judgment for anybody either. Time magazine listed Rob Bell in 2011 in its 100 most influential people in the world. You got to stand before God and answer. Let me let me just let me just close it this way. Listen. Here's what 2 Peter says, God made them Sodom and Gomorrah an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. I don't like it any better than you do. I'd like to not believe in eternal judgment and damnation. I have a hard time coming to grips with it. I really do. But it's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. I don't like it. I don't like it. I'd like to tear it out of the page. Jude says they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. I'm going five minutes over time and I don't care. Listen, listen, no, listen, listen, listen. There's so many verses. Go with me quickly, 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 just on a quick tour. Just go to the Gospel of Matthew, and you hear the preaching of John the Baptist. And here's what he said. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But that wasn't all he said. He said, verse 10, the axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's what he said. Verse 12. His winnowing fork, talking about Jesus in his hand, he'll cleanse his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. That's what Jesus is going to do. Chapter five of Matthew, verse 22, Jesus says, and I'm not going to, un- to explain the meaning behind this verse. I just wanted to see it. If anyone says to his brother, Raka is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But if anyone says you fool, he'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Jesus said that. Chapter seven of Matthew, verse nineteen. He's talking about recognizing a tree by its fruit, and he says every tree, verse nineteen, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Jesus said it. Chapter eight of Matthew, verse twelve. Um, the subjects of the kingdom, those that should have been there, that people thought would be there, will be thrown in out, thrown outside into the darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's bad. That's bad. Chapter 13 of Matthew, verse 24, as Jesus tells the parable of the weeds and the true grain and the sowing of the weeds. And, he, and they say, well, you want us to pull up the, the, the weeds? And he says, no, because you might get some good grain with it. And only God really knows who are His." And then they say in verse 36 and following, his disciples said, explain the parable to us. And he says, verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels. They'll weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They'll throw them into the fiery furnace where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Verse 47, same chapter, once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net. It was let down into the lake, caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it on the shore. They sat down, collected the good fish in the baskets, threw the bad away. He says, this is how it'll be at the end of the age. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. Will it be weeping and gnashing of teeth? He says it repeatedly in his teaching. Chapter 18, Matthew, verse 8. If your hand, your foot causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into the eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. And I got verse after verse after verse and I'm out of time. Second Thessalonians says when Jesus comes, he's going to come with blazing fire. It's going to consume his enemies. And then the final book of the New Testament, Revelation Chapter 20 John sees a great white throne and God is seated on the throne and the books were open but people were judged according to the books It says in verse 14 death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire the lake of fire is the second death if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life he was thrown into the lake of fire I don't like it any better than you do but it's what the Bible says and anybody anybody that crosses it out and says there's no judgment is a heretic and don't listen to them don't give them don't give them the time of day don't read or buy their books burn them if you get one how do you end a message like this here's the way you end this message listen listen Don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And here's how you end it. For God, say it with me, come on. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God has done everything, everything, everything he can. Listen. God has done everything he can that nobody has to go to hell. One of the verses, if I'd have had more time that Jesus said, uh, they'll be cast at the end into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. That's who God prepared the eternal fire for. Nobody has to go there. And anybody that's there, they chose to be there.
0: We're so blessed to be able to share the Word of God with you on each new edition of The Living Word. Thanks for being a part of our valued listening audience. If you'd like to hear today's message from Genesis again, please visit ccfstpete.church. Just click on sermons to be directed to our YouTube channel. In fact, you'll find a number of messages from Pastor Danny on that page, and we encourage you to subscribe. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and offer you an opportunity to partner with us here on The Living Word. Would you join with us in praying for the listeners of this program? During this time of uncertainty in our nation, prayer is a powerful tool to combat fear and to promote peace in Jesus. Please pray that each person that hears these messages from the life of Jesus are touched and changed by His love. Please pray also for us. We want to continue following God's plan for this program no matter where He asks us to go. Would you also ask the Lord about contributing financially to the living Word? If you feel led to give, visit our website at ccfstpete.church and click on the online giving guide under forms. Any and all amounts are greatly appreciated and will be used to share the good news of Jesus' love for the world. Thanks for praying about this, and thanks for being a part of our time studying Genesis on the Living Word.